Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day in a still rather deserted city of Westminster in these times of COVID-19, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Chaloner and I'm joined on today's programme by Sajida Parveen. Sajida is the founder of The Perfume Closet, a fragrance retailer based in Birmingham. Saj, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us on this fine day. Thank you ever so much for coming on. Oh, hi, Scott. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. Now, um, the purpose of this discussion really is to establish your take on leadership as a whole. So if we just look at that word leader in isolation, first and foremost, what does that word actually mean to you? If I was to word for word, just give you one word, I would have to say a visionary. Mm. Um, somebody who's able to see light years ahead of everybody else um, and then lead people through the process. Um, but if I was to expand on that, I'd say um, you have to take a micro and macro perspective. So um, the macro is the visionary and leading from the front. And then the micro is to make sure everybody shares that vision and then can be led and the whole inclusivity and everything. Mm, very important points that you mentioned there that ability of course to take people with you is absolutely integral Mm. Um, you mentioned the word visionary there as well are there any people that maybe fit that category who have actually had a profound influence on you as you've developed throughout your career and have maybe inspired you and had an influence on your leadership style yeah so it's i mean i went to Aston business school and like we studied leadership like on an academic level and we went through like loads of people that would fit that vision of that model of a visionary and you think of like Walt Disney um uh, Richard Branson mm. you think of you know um the business like leaders Amazon um and they are like great visionaries innovators and so yeah they would have like they have inspired me to not be scared to innovate not be scared to break the mold not be scared to do things differently because as long as you are being led and you are following, you're not going to change things. You have to be light years ahead. You have to spot that thing ahead of everybody else to be the leader instead of being led. Exactly. It's very much about proactivity, isn't it? And I think proactivity versus reactivity is something that's really entered the national debate um, concerning the government's response to the COVID-19 crisis that we're currently going through at the moment, of course. Um, The reason being is that a lot of people are saying, oh, maybe we should have gone into lockdown a lot earlier than we did. Of course, that happened on the 23rd of March for the UK. And for those... um, in Italy, for example, that actually began a lot earlier, um, as early as the uh, the 9th of March, in fact. And so if we take sort of um, proactive versus reactive, um, just away from that situation and away from politics at the, uh, just for a moment, would you say, um, Saj, that you are more inclined when difficulties arise to be very proactive, to dive straight in, get on top of issues as soon as possible? Or do you tend to take a bit of a backseat sometimes, let things play out and then take action from that stage? I think 100% proactive because mm. although people can criticise the government for not acting long, uh, quick enough, I would say my experience has been different. So the news and the media and all of that reporting came in enough time for us to be able to take ownership of our situations and make our own choice. So we, as a retail store, we closed our stores um two weeks before the official lockdown. Mm. Now, at that point, we had no idea that an official lockdown was going to happen. So, obviously, the government had a strategy of, for safety reasons, security reasons, letting information out only on a need-to-know basis. But 
us being proactive, I could see the way things were going. I decided now it's not safe for uh, my employees, my customers. They didn't feel safe. Trade had dried down to a point that I had to adapt my trading model before I was told to adapt my trading model. So we closed the stores two weeks before the official lockdown date. And we immediately switched to gearing everything towards our website and online. Um, and so I don't feel that criticism of everything was too slow because the information was there. We could have taken some ownership and um, the understanding from suppliers, customers was already there. You know, the stay at home was being told, but it just wasn't compulsory to stay at home. Mm. So uh, I would say that whilst obviously I agree that, you know, obviously I agree the lockdown could have been implemented sooner because I I implemented it voluntarily two weeks in advance. But then the fact that it wasn't implemented didn't mean you couldn't make your own decision to change. Very, very interesting points. And I think that will leave a lot of food for thought for uh, business leaders um, out there, regardless of uh, their view of uh, the government's timing on introducing the uh, the lockdown for sure. And um, in terms of those measures that have been brought in um, at um, your business, the perfume closet, um, Serge, how have um, staff members uh, reacted to that and how have they sort of um, approached this period? Because we've heard a lot of positive stories, haven't we, of people who've really brought out the best in themselves during this time of adversity and really gone above and beyond to keep things ticking over. Has it been the case for yourself as well it has been positive because we found ways of working that we didn't we stretched ourselves and found out ways of working that we didn't think possible we found ways to survive that we thought would we ever get through this and we have the one thing that i think has been an issue everywhere um is productivity Mm. so whilst we've adapted the way we work the process of change and you know it's not been perfect but change never is so Whilst there's been, you know, positive stories, it has required a lot of patience. It's not that it hasn't been without its tests. Productivity has been a real issue. And then when we go back to reopening the stores, um, I am concerned about, you know, the time period it will take to settle back in. So it's scary for employees. Um, They are concerned, you know, their concerns are slightly different. Although we share the concerns, my, my Staff is my concern, but I've got my staff, my suppliers, everybody, and then everybody in their own role is concerned about how it impacts them. And I think that's where it comes back to leadership. Mm. I mentioned the micro and the macro. So the visionary leads uh, the bigger picture. If you take a look at the government strategy for, you know, they've got a massive media campaign. They've got a massive, massive vision. The vision is to overcome and beat the virus and save lives. Then on a micro vision, everybody needs to stay at home. Um, and everybody has to do their bit. And I think what COVID has taught in leadership is whilst you might have your big vision and you've got to go ahead and achieve that big vision, it's not going to be done without every single person on right down to shop floor, front of line, everybody playing their part. And I think what COVID has reminded businesses and leaders at the top is you have to look after everybody. And that's what's happened in COVID. People have gone out their way. And that's where the positive stories come in. People have gone out their way to look after others. And I think that's key in achieving a vision. Mm, exactly. I think that's key in achieving a vision. 
it's a form of people management in a way, isn't it? Which is an important facet yeah. of leadership. You could say that, of course, leadership and management are fundamentally separate things. But I think people management especially does need to come into leadership to a, a certain degree. And it's been a challenge for leaders. And no doubt, of course, maintaining yeah. leadership from a distance without that common workspace being there anymore and having to keep yeah. the communication channels open, provide reassurance. But despite yeah. the challenges, there are some positives to come from this, aren't there? In the sense that it's breeding resilience in those businesses that do survive the experience of suffering setbacks for both leaders and employees alike and having to go out of their comfort zones that's going to help them in their development and experience but also we're focusing on things that maybe we didn't have much emphasis on before so there's a renewed emphasis again on mental health and well-being and also certain sectors as well that perhaps didn't get the attention that they deserved prior to this yeah retail being one of them retail has been bleeding for a very long time um, and there's been so many casualties and the casualties have been, you know, uh, coming and it's like in the banking crisis, it was just one after the other and then the government had to step in and retail, it's just slowly been happening and it's, it's like everybody is just seeing uh, um, retail as like an old elephant, like just dying off and it's not like that because if you look at, people will always want to walk into a store but the thing is, the store, the environment hasn't been easy for stores to survive, and all the support packages that have come through in COVID nineteen probably have mattered the most in retail because they needed the help with or without COVID, mm. and COVID has been the reason that they've got that help. So um, whilst it won't be without its, its challenges, I do hope you know that um, the, the focus on retail and support for retail does continue. And before we do address um, what you see for the uh, for happening for the next year um, in that respect, um, Saj, um, do give me an idea of if you were to, based upon your experience, not just of managing this crisis, uh, but also um, prior to uh, that in uh, launching the business, if you were to give some advice to somebody who was perhaps about to start their first day in a leadership role within business, what sort of advice would you have to give them? I would say definitely you've got to think ahead. Because you have to to lead people. That's why people will follow you because you offer them something that they can't see for themselves. And then you need that charisma for people to buy into your vision. But then you need to look after people in the process because that's how you'll really get them behind you. Um, You need, obviously, when you're starting out, what you think and what happens could be different. So what COVID has especially taught us is the thrivers have been the ones who have been able to adapt. For a leader, adaptability is everything because you're the one everybody looks up to when life throws you a curveball. So proactivity, adaptability, um, not being afraid to break the mold, all these things are, will set you apart from somebody else who's got an equal, like a, a pivotal role in your team who's going to get things done but isn't a leader. That's what's going to set you apart. I think that's um, absolutely right, uh, Saj. And um, if we now do think about the uh, the future, just before we do uh, wrap things up uh, today, um, do give me an idea of what you envision the next 12 months will hold for yourself, for the perfume closet and for retail as a whole, and also what you hope to achieve during uh, that time, hopefully as we move through this pandemic out of the other side and really begin to look to the future. Well, we hope to survive and hope to survive well. Mm. Um, and then the lessons we learn from this is how to adapt I mean, this is a big thing around health. So we're going to have to change the way customers are shopping in store, keeping two meters apart, um, you know, in terms of the uh, when they try things, wiping the bottles down. Do you accept 
you know, cash payments, contactless payments, all those things, the details have to be considered. And the, saying retail is detail, you know, that you now know exactly why. It's very different when somebody's shopping online from the comfort of their own home, the onus for their health, safety, everything is on them. In retail, you have a massive responsibility because people are coming to you and you're kind of hosting that shopping experience. So I think for retailers, I definitely think um, the support has been welcome and more support is necessary far and beyond COVID just because of the fact that the industry was uh, struggling anyway and looking at how it was struggling. So, you know, there was the fixed costs, the business rates, you know, you just can't compete with online. But Mm. retailers also need to adapt to that because, like I said, if we didn't have an online trading model, we wouldn't have been able to survive this. It's not that online is the enemy, you need to embrace online as well because, you know, we're a business, we're bricks and mortar, um, that's valued in its own way, but then you have a whole online behind you to help you, you know, serve people in adaptable ways. As we've said already today, adaptability and flexibility is so, so important. And it's going to be even more so as we understand over the next few months what this new normal way of doing business is going to look like. And I think, um, Saj, even though we are unfortunately just about out of time today, given how informative it's been having you on the air with us uh, during today's programme, I think it would be fantastic to actually catch up at some point in the next year once we start to see what that new normal is looking like and just understand what the business is doing and how it's um, adapted again to meet that new normal for sure that would be great i think so um, as well Mm. yeah certainly from a listener's perspective um it would be uh, very very fascinating i think um but for now um i could literally talk about it um, all um afternoon it's a shame that we have uh, run out of time but <laughs> it's um it's been wonderful uh Saj, having you on the uh, the program today it's been a real pleasure but also a really insightful experience most importantly as well and do most importantly take care and stay safe with everything still going on in the meantime Yeah, definitely. Um, Thank you for having me and I've really enjoyed the discussion. Likewise. Um, For the listeners tuning in, that was Sajida Parveen, the founder of The Perfume Closet. And coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing the mic over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field. Liz is the Chief Executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association, otherwise known as the trade body for firms who provide investment management and financial advice services for individuals and families. And I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Liz. That's coming up next. I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in uh, uh, across the board these days, but of course it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when of course um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, had, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. 
and the uh, probably a, a very wise move because uh, the the uh, uh, has been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment? Uh, these are, are are the priorities uh, for yourselves there. Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses, which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face to face or whether that is um, online. Uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, a, I could have a, a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's it's very challenging um, to um Kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world. So uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, and an investment management firm to help you, um, because it is quite a complex arena, and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally. So um, if you have that as a backdrop, uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post Brexit uh, and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, it, maybe Lizzie, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. uh, occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's, 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Lizzie, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're the the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go it's just it's just going to 
keep coming up against the same barriers. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum, because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people, for uh, youngsters and you know school kids. It will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or, you know, that they they deal with on a day-to-day basis, which is money. So the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money, um, the better, I think, because then we'll start to promote a culture of, of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in in in, in our um, in our country. Without a doubt, it's because and again, you've hit the nail on the head because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah, uh, and you know you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, it, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think as, um, uh, for example, uh, with with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, a, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, uh, the system, but ty- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Liz. Yes, but I we, think you're right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um, now, looking at and a couple of the points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seems as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a, a large majority for the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, uh, left the European Union without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here, at least. Is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next twelve months? Um, I think I think that that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst you know thirty first of January came and went, um, you know we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period, mm-hmm. um, and for for UK um, savers and uh, and investors, uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're we're still uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um, European rulemaking um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, you know. The, the majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore, a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. What we're talking about is smarter regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique 
industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in, Europe, in Europe, England, or U- the UK rather, and, and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So whilst I'd like to be posi- positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yeah, the same piece, you know. Famous <laughs> bedfellows, aren't they? Indeed, I mean, absolutely, um, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. It, absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, if nothing else. Um, yes. uh, now, you, you, you mentioned there, at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, uh, PIMFA has. Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the FCA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part I I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate. Um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is has always been that the polluter pays. But the polluters have, have long since folded by the time mm. it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe 
FCA you should be looking at in your supervisory process. And we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I, I know there's no such thing as a, a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if, let's imagine, let's, let's imagine you did have one, just for, the, just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system, and perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might well want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could, um, w- what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I were, my number one priority to, to solve the system? In terms of reform. In terms of reform, what regulatory reform, you mean? Um, I think, oh, goodness me, the one thing. um, It is a bit of a mean question. It is, gosh, yes, wow. Um, I I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Um, I I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter, um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to, to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them. And what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Great. Now I'm conscious of the time here. This is already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a a little step back and uh, and look at. Um, uh, the operations of PIMFOR again, it's what PIMFOR do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. Can that really, Liz, be underestimated, the importance of having those working relationships with, with the departments and the organisations that you do have? No, I don't. I, I think it's absolutely fundamental um, to any business, actually. But it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know the values that we have as an organisation. We we are a small organisation, uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So, relationship building. Um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt. And I, I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think and because of the time here, we, we, I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask, Liz, looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our, well, our key priority this, this next 12 months is, is, is to be talking um, much more, um, and we, we, we have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this, but because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into, um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing, that you know, they, they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter um, and what does what does regulation look like for uh, for us moving forward. But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main 
the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know, we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just um, kind of, is just one of those things. There are a whole host of other of other things promoting the sector as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future of regulation, future of supervision. And then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be a, a more important year, uh, or has not been in a while, that will determine the future of all of those things. And perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been Liz, an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Liz, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.